You're listening to a 3CR podcast of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Radio MMT respectfully acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting, the Wurundjeri people, and we are broadcasting to the Kulin Nations. Our focus is economics, that is, how stuff is produced and distributed. We recognise that for many tens of thousands of years, First Nations people's connection to country successfully embodied the world's oldest continuous economy, which was catastrophically disrupted by genocide and displacement. We acknowledge that we have much to learn to reshape our current extractive and exploitive system to achieve sustainable prosperity for everyone. This podcast episode of Radio MMT contains content broadcast on the 14th of April 2023, as well as content recorded over the following few days. We have wrapped an event within a radio show within a podcast episode. The event itself was a two-day workshop called Rethinking Capitalism, which was hosted and presented by Gabrielle Bond and Dr. Stephen Hale of Modern Money Lab. Kevin and I both attended the workshop and I was able to speak with some of the other participants. What they had to say reassured me that you don't have to dig far to find our collective wisdom. The voices you will hear suggest this new economics has the potential to be a broad church. People from all walks of life are attracted to this blend of modern monetary theory, ecological economics and other progressive thinking about the economy. We met unionists, business people, academics, young people starting out on their careers, and people who are retired. We met the shy and the outspoken. We met the maths fiends and the cultural creatives. Is economics too boring for the rest of us? Well, as you'll hear, the stories economics tells us shouldn't be missed. Radio MMT Economics for the rest of us with Anne and Kev Radio MMT Looking at the world through the lens of modern monetary theory Radio MMT Macroeconomics for a well-being economy Macroeconomics? Like, isn't that incredibly boring? No, Kevin, it's incredibly interesting. It's all about who gets what and why. Who gets what and why? Okay, I'm in. Radio MMT at gmail.com. Incredibly interesting macroeconomics for the rest of us. Welcome to Radio MMT. Is, is this like edition four? I, I can only really count to three, and after that I get a bit confused. So you're going to keep counting them. No, I'm not you? going to. I'm going to stop now. That was, uh, <laughs> it was very exciting at the beginning, but we're into it now, so that's all well, good. How are you, Anne? Hello, Kevin, and hello to our lovely Larry and Larissa. Thanks for joining us for another hour as we prod and poke our way through this thing that we call macroeconomics that we're all swimming in. Excellent, excellent. Now, um, what have we got on the show today, Anne? Well, I'm really looking forward to our show today because we are going to have a conversation with two people who are an absolutely dynamic duo when it comes to uh, letting the world know about modern monetary theory and other progressive kinds of economics. 
Gabrielle Bond and Dr. Stephen Hale, who we will be talking to in about 15 minutes. Excellent, excellent. But in the meantime, I was going to tell you about this thing that happened to me probably a few weeks ago now. I was minding my own business, Kevin, and when all of a sudden, I would say about 10 fighter jets flew straight over my head. Oh, <laughs> yeah, radio, yep. <laughs> and I have never seen so many fighter jets all at one time. And, you know, I get really worried that they're going to, like, bang into each other. Yep. But anyway, the thing that came out of my mouth, the thing that I heard myself say was, there goes my taxpayer money. Ah, uh, uh, yep. You know, it just showed me how ingrained like this bad neoclassical economics is that I will just blurt something out that is completely wrong you as far and as economics you after goes. Everything that we've talked about in you revert back to, you know, it's like, I guess it's like if you brought up religious and, you, and you, something bad happens. You, I was just doing might, my Hail Marys. You might chuck in a little prayer, you know, yeah. It's hard. It's hard. Like you say, it's so ingrained into you that um, that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to reset our minds so that um, we think about uh, this whole economic situation in a different way, which we would regard as the um, as the correct way. But, I should uh, have said, there work. goes our uh, national resources. Yes. That's <laughs> what I should have said. And there's, there goes an investment which is dubious. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, before we talk to our lovely guest, we'll hear from our usual segment with uh, Bill Mitchell, who, of course, is an economist and the founder of Modern Monetary Theory, which is the school of economics that we follow. Uh, let's go straight into it. It's time for A Letter from the Cape with economist Bill Bill Mitchell. Hello, this is Bill Mitchell and I'm back with another letter from the Cape. I grew up in Melbourne and like many, I like Australian rules football. If you grow up in Melbourne, it's a good chance that you will support one team or another for whatever unfathomable reason that you have for doing so. I love going to the Melbourne Cricket Ground to watch my team and I enjoy the tribal nature of Australian football, the viscerality, the clapping and the rest of it. It's a pity that in recent times that the corporatists who control the game have allowed the experience to be sullied by constant gambling information on the scoreboards and bomb and other sound effects that go off after a team scores. Stuff like that has reduced the time for reflection between goals. There are two large scoreboards at the MCG perched high in the grandstands that allow spectators to constantly keep up with the scores and other key statistics from the game. They have evolved over the years from a person manually altering the numbers to advanced digital screens. But the principle is the same. Each time a team scores a goal or a behind, the scoreboard numbers change. Presumably now, there is some official in front of a computer these days who just types a new number into the display. Now you don't have to know much or anything about Australian football to understand the next point. A game goes for four quarters, each of about 30 minutes. Imagine that sometime during the third quarter, a large siren rings out at the ground and an announcer comes over the PA system announcing that the game is to be prematurely ended because the scoreboard has run out of numbers to digitally render. The teams would walk off dejected, unfulfilled, and as the supporters started to weave their way out of the ground, they might start to rue the fact that their dream of victory 
was thwarted because the ground had run out of numbers to post on the scoreboard. The supporters would wonder whether it was because the teams had scored too many goals, or was it because the officials had failed to accumulate enough numbers before the game. Of course, that sort of scenario could never happen. The mere proposition is ridiculous. Everybody knows that the officials typing in the scores could never run out of numbers to type into the scoreboard display. It's the same for any issuing agency. Our rail and tramways could never run out of tickets. They might sell too many, given the capacity of the transport system, and end up with overcrowded conveyances. But they could never run out of the tokens, even though these days they operate as electronic tokens once you tap your Mikey or other card. So what's all this about? Just as you would have thought it was ridiculous to think that the scoreboard at the MCG could ever run out of points, you should also realise that the federal government can never run out of money. Why? Because it issues the currency that we use, the Australian dollar. It, and it alone, has the capacity to issue that token. We do not supply the government with currency through our taxes. How could we? We use the currency that the government issues. If we were the supplier, where would we get it from? Once you frame the issue like this, it becomes obvious that the government has to spend its currency into existence before we can get our hands on it and, in turn, return it to the government in the form of tax payments. So to avoid prosecution for failing to meet our tax obligations, we supply our labour and goods to government in a variety of ways so they can pay us their currency, which allows us to meet those obligations and more. Next time you read or hear someone say, taxpayers' dollars are funding some government program or another, reflect for a minute on the absurdity of that proposition. It is as illogical and ridiculous as a scoreboard at the MCG running out of points to post. And the next question you will have is this. If taxes do not fund government spending, and the government can never run out of points, sorry, money, then what the hell is the purpose of taxes? We'll answer that next time. Take care, and I'll be back. Bill Mitchell telling us that the best way to think of money is to think of it as like points in a football game. Yes, I've got to disagree with him on one point. When I was a kid, I was a Hawthorne supporter and Peter Hudson used to kick a lot of goals and I did actually see the scoreboard run out of a number once, (laughs) more than once, or maybe they just lost it, you know, like, but he used to kick a lot of goals. So uh, They ran out of the real resource, Karen, of the the signage of the number. Correct. They didn't run out of scores, they just ran out of the the black and And white numbers. And the reason he wants us to think that way is part so we stop thinking of money as like a thing, as like a physical object. It's kind of reasonable that we all walk around thinking that because you talk about money as though it's a thing because you say, well, I'm going to put $100 into my bank account as though you're putting like soil into a bucket or something. But what we don't realise is when we're interacting with money, whether it's as uh, numbers in our bank account or whether it's as dollar notes in our wallet, we don't realise that 
underneath that usage of money, there's this whole system that's the legalized accounting system. And so that accounting system is just keeping track. It's just keeping score in the economy. And what do you suppose it's keeping score of? Of all the debts and all the credits in the economy. So who owes what and who owes who, how much? And, you know, I was thinking if I've got $20 in my wallet, that's kind of like that $20 is saying that the market owes Anne $20 worth of goods and services. Or it's like saying that the government owes me $20 worth of relief from any taxes that I might have. Just keeping score. It's an interesting way of thinking about it. And we've had this discussion before because I have a problem with the monetary system being something that you can accumulate wealth with. And and that brings a whole bunch of problems. We're not going to go into (laughs) that at the moment. Um, Do we need a bit of thinking time? Yes. And then when we come back, we will be speaking with Gabby Bond and Dr. Stephen Hale. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to play something that I heard just recently at the Golden Plains Music Festival. It's a nice, gentle little song by a fellow called Al Carlson called uh, Capo Dog. You're on uh, Radio MMT with Anne and Kev, um, and that was the song Capo Dog by <laughs> Al Carlson, who uh, he just went off at, um, at Golden Plains. Everyone's a capo. <laughs> He's uh, very entertaining. Uh, good bloke. Uh, now, who have we got in the studio today? As promised, we have with us today visiting us from Adelaide. So they're here in Melbourne for a couple of days. Seasoned activist and administrator <laughs> who I just got to watch in action, <laughs> Gabby Bond. Welcome to the studio, Gabby. Hi, and Hi, Kevin. Hi, Great Gabby. to be here. Thank you for having us. No You're most welcome. And Dr. Stephen Hale, who is adjunct professor at Torrens University and one of the most approachable economics teachers you could come across. Welcome to the studio. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on with you. So I did hear you mention earlier, Gabby, that the two of you came in by train from Adelaide. Yes, we did travel by train. Um, I'm a bit conflicted about flying these days and there is a good option to come to Melbourne with um, less carbon emissions. And the train was actually quite a delight, you know, it was... It was long, but uh, you get to see some beautiful scenery. And It's we- not exactly a Japanese bullet train, but you get, you get here in the end. <laughs> yeah. It's lovely looking out the window. It was fine. We were able to work uh, uh, on the way. So I, uh, I'm looking forward to the journey back. Um, yeah. yeah. You two are practising what you preach because it is sustainable prosperity that is the theme of a lot of your work. You uh, really are thinking about your carbon emissions. If, yeah, if we can do it, we will try our best. Like some places, it's obviously going to be a lot harder, like Tasmania, where we're going in about six weeks' time. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. And the reason that you are both in Melbourne is because you are conducting a two-day workshop. It's great fun. I love doing it. This is the ninth time we, we will have done it. We're going to do it at least five or six more times before we yeah. give up. <laughs> yep. um, and it's a terrific experience. You'll meet a lot of really interesting people. I guess there's about 50 people coming. I'm, I'm going because I, like I like to discuss things. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're, you're most welcome. And the, the more people we have like Kevin... 
who actively engage in discussions. <laughs> yeah. better. The last thing we want is for uh, groups of people to be sitting around not having anything to say. They'll be saying stuff. But we've got uh, lots of breakout spaces and we've got a big auditorium, so we've got plenty of room. We've yep. got plenty of food as well. Yep, you're well catered for <laughs> yeah, the, right. these workshops. Kevin and I went to the previous one and it was an absolute joy to hear that you're coming back. Any plans for you to return to Melbourne in the future? I, yeah, I think so. What we might do at some point is a short MMT course because uh, this weekend is about progressive economics in general and ecological economics too. I guess out across the two days we have about two hours worth of MMT discussion but the rest is us talking about a range of other issues, connected issues like inequality and like climate change and mm. like uh, fair trade and neoliberalism and all those kind of things. We do have a session on the job guarantee. We do indeed, yep. yes, absolutely. And if, uh, if any of our listeners have heard us speak, the job guarantee is kind of like a central foundation of um, a lot of the economics we talk about because if everybody's got a job, then the... No always... one is shut out of the economy when you've got a job guarantee. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But there's uh, lots to talk about with the job guarantee. Everybody's got their own slant on it. Always a bunch of questions, um, and it's uh, always an interesting conversation. Absolutely. We'll have a lot of trade unionists there tomorrow, which will be really interesting. Excellent. Um, and so the workshop is still called Rethinking Capitalism. It it's, is. It yep. is still called Rethinking Capitalism, yeah. Um, the first time we ran this, uh, the ecological economist Kate Rowith wrote to me and, uh, and told me off about that and said we should call it Rethinking the Economy or Rethinking <laughs> Economics because capitalism and socialism are terms that are uh, good for the 19th century, but we need to be planning for a, a future where we start building our ownism. See, my question was going to be, if we're rethinking capitalism, is your angle on it all a sort of post-capitalist angle? And I was thinking about this because uh, in our first episode, I think, Bill Mitchell mentioned that he thought that capitalism has reached its use-by date, meaning I guess it's a bit on the nose at the moment. So I was just wondering if that's the kind of framing you're comfortable with or... Um. Whereas Bill Mitchell and, for that matter, Kate Rowith, since I mentioned her and lots of other people <laughs> I could mention, are uh, world-famous experts in what they talk about. I don't hold myself out to be uh, anybody like them. I'm a teacher, so what I prefer to do mm. is give people a variety ah. of perspectives. And we start off by saying, what is capitalism anyway and where did it come from? And uh, one of the things that Kate said in the discussion with me is you, if you ask 10 people to define capitalism, you get 10 different definitions uh, usually. So it'll be more about I'll provide them with Kate's view and with Jason Hickel's view mm -hmm. and uh, uh, with Bill Mitchell's view. And uh, then it'll be up to people to discuss for themselves. It's a smorgasbord of economics that yeah. you're offering, of progressive economics. Yeah, it is not a great expert standing at the front for two days and talking. That's not what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. It's about 50% me introducing an issue or a topic. And then at least half of this is some very interesting people from climate activists to MMT fans uh, to trade unionists um, getting together and uh, discussing these issues one at a time. Mm -hmm. And I think they get as much out of talking to each other as they do mm -hmm. as, out of listening That's to the me. wonderful thing about your workshop is the amount of time that you build in for a bit of cross-pollination with all the participants. I, I love those breakout sessions afterwards because you, you go and you sit down and, and there'd be a topic and there'd be, I don't know, seven or eight, ten people sitting mm -hmm. in, in a room and there's this kind of silence and 
everybody's waiting for somebody else to start. There's <laughs> usually three or four people busting to say something, yeah. but they don't want to, you know, they don't want to be pushy. And, and then it starts. And then you know? we get a conversation. <laughs> yes. So this workshop's being brought to us by a organisation called Modern Money Lab. And I was wondering, Gabby, if you could give us an overview of Modern Money Lab and what it's doing and all the different activities that are happening under that umbrella. Yeah, so Modern Money Lab is a registered charity. Um, We started Modern Money Lab so that we had uh, a legal entity to become partners with Torrens University Australia. So we offer a suite of online courses and these are postgraduate courses, uh, graduate certificate, graduate diploma and master's degree. And also we have even a couple of doctoral students now in the economics of sustainability. There's a big MMT element throughout, and we've got some very well-known MMT lecturers working with us, including Scott Fulweiler, you might have heard of, mm-hmm. John Harvey, Dirk Entz, um, academics from, from all around the world. Uh, it goes back to a conference we had three years ago, and uh, out of that conference, uh, a lot of people started asking us, where can we study MMT? Mm, yep. uh, and also, for that mm. matter, where can we study ecological economics? And there really isn't anywhere in Australia that you can combine both of those things. Uh, and it, that's not just true in Australia, it's true globally. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided to set up these online courses because we think it's important to replace ourselves. Uh, If we're talking about modern monetary theory, I'm in my 60s. Uh, Bill is even a little bit more mature than me. We're Uh not going to be here forever. Where's the next generation? That's right. That's what we're trying to do. Although we have uh, students from age 22 up into their 70s, there are plenty of retired people who are participating as well. And this is the second trimester we're running the courses. We've got an amazing batch of students, including plenty of people from Melbourne, Uh, some of whom are going to be at our event over the weekend helping to facilitate those groups. Could you, Stephen, give us a sense of some of the context of why it is so important to offer a course that's in progressive or heterodox economics? Because it seems like the bulk of academia has got a very different kind of um, economics. Yeah, absolutely. We have largely a monoculture. Mm. Um, We have a relatively small, because we're not a huge country, relatively small university sector anyway. Uh, Not every university does economics, but almost everywhere that does economics in Australia now does uh, purely what we call neoclassical or orthodox, or in other words, teaches the sort of economics which people are familiar with from the narrative which surrounds us day after day, week after week, and inspires things like the report the Grattan Institute brought out a couple of days ago where they were arguing that uh, there was going to be a fiscal crisis in Australia if the Australian government didn't either cut back on its spending or raise taxes to um, move away from the government deficit spending and to balance its budget or run a surplus. That was nonsense, as I've been saying on Twitter for the last few days. And, of course, Mm -hmm. Bill Mitchell would tell you that was nonsense for the, the same reason he was talking about our monetary system being like a point scoring system in the excerpt that you played. And there is a a realistic approach, not just to the government budget, to to many other issues, to, to discussing how come it is 
that uh, Australia in the 1970s had a Scandinavian level of inequality and that we don't now. We have more inequality than the average across the OECD club of rich countries. Australia mm. is no longer a country where everybody gets a fair go. We have let them take that away from us over the last 40 years. Why? Why is it so difficult to persuade a Labour government to take this seriously and to have a target for inequality or for reducing inequality the same way they have targets for some other things. Um, if we are going to address these kind of issues in the next generation, we need a large number of trained economists working in government, uh, finance, not-for-profits, academia, and we don't have anyone, or we have hardly anyone, coming through the system because there's nowhere to train. I've heard that economics as a, an academic study is unusual in the fact that it is so narrow in its focus and the way that it's, it's taught. I'm not an academic, I'm a handyman. But if you go to university and study, there's usually a variety of, um, of viewpoints that, that, that you could have. But, but economics seems to have been captured by this very conservative way of looking at it and only in one way. And like you say, if you want to have an alternative view to this, they, they sort of just... Don't exist. That's true, and it's been getting worse. A few years ago, there were people like Bill Mitchell uh, at Newcastle. Uh, there was Steve Keane at the University of Western Sydney. Uh, we had more pluralism. Where I was at the University of Adelaide, there was someone called Colin Rogers, and years before, there was Geoffrey Harcourt. Mm -hmm. There was pluralism mm -hmm. in economics education in Australia, and um, there has been a 40-year campaign to eliminate that pluralism it's gone much further here actually than in most other countries okay. um and, and so yeah we have a monoculture now and i don't want to sound like uh, if you're not careful you sound like a climate change denial <laughs> or something uh, there is no scientific reason for this it is not the case that in the 1970s what people called monetarism in those days triumphed scientifically as a theory of how the economy worked and so economics has got better and better and better since then it was a political campaign, uh, which was very successful in the UK with Margaret Thatcher, in the US with Ronald Reagan, in Australia. Uh, it captured not only the Liberals, but also the Labour Party too. I, I, I found a newspaper article the other day, which I, I showed to Anne, and it was from uh, June in 1975. Mm. Jim Cairns warning Labour that to go with this... Uh, this budget of austerity that Bill Hayden was bringing in was a big mistake. And th that, that was kind of like... The beginning it's of a, a the... a crucial turning end, point, you know, yeah. And if you're talking about the UK, again, as Bill Mitchell will tell you, it was James Callaghan, the Labour Prime Minister, yeah. that, that shifted towards austerity and monetarism. And in the UK, unlike in Australia in the mid-70s, there was a floating exchange rate and there was already a monetary sovereign government. Even less reason for going <laughs> in that direction. All this yeah. is just to say, where we are is no accident. Hello, I'm Philip Lorne. I'm adjunct professor at Torrance University and you're listening to Radio MMT with Anne and Kev on 3CR Community Radio. We're here with our guests. Stephen Hale and Gabby Bond from Modern Money Lab. Modern Money Lab, okay. Yep. So I was wanting to ask Stephen about something that I have seen in the news recently, the Housing Australia Future Fund. And oh, so, yes. Gabby's nodding her <laughs> head over there. 
So the Albanese government made an election promise to fund 30,000 social and affordable housing units over the next five years. And of course, we all know that that number is probably not high enough and that social housing is not public housing. Mm. Nevertheless, the government is now saying that they are making good on that promise because they are establishing a $10 billion future fund. So, Stephen, I was wondering what you make of all that. A future fund, whatever you're talking about, is of no assistance at all as far as the federal government is concerned. They uh, are not going to run out of dollars. They issue the dollar. Our dollars are issued by the federal government using nothing more complicated than the keys on a, on a keyboard of a computer. Uh, if you have the real resources, if you have the available skilled labour, you have the institutional capacity, you've got um, the land where you can build housing, if you've got the materials available, if you have the productive capacity, then there is no problem whatsoever, at least as far as the federal government is concerned, in funding an investment in, in public housing. A future fund is... Either just a mirage, it's pretending that you want to do <laughs> something when you don't really, or else it is a consequence of some people being deluded and just not understanding uh, the monetary system to the point where they genuinely believe that the issue is a lack of dollars, which of course it isn't. Yeah. So what we're talking about, as I understand it, with a future fund, is that the federal government is going to spend $10 billion. They're going to create that money as they spend it. And then what they're going to do is invest that into the stock market. And then they're going to take their earnings, apparently, from this investment in the stock market. And whatever they earn, that is what they will spend on the housing. And it sounds to me what you're saying is that they could just go ahead and spend that money directly. Of course they could just go ahead and spend that money directly. If the real resources don't exist to allow those activities to take place, if they're competing with the private sector for scarce skilled labour or um, materials which are limited in supply where there are supply constraints and it can put upward pressure on prices in the economy and it could be inflationary. But if those resources exist or if they can be created or, or freed up, there's never a problem in mm. the federal government paying for things, as as you know very well and you say mm. on, on your show, um, our federal government cannot run out of its own currency. It issues the currency. As long as it can pass a budget through Parliament, then there's no problem with federal spending. The only barrier is to do with limited productive capacity, limited real resources and inflation risk. Right. So, so I'm trying to imagine where does this money actually go? It's just going to sit in a spreadsheet somewhere. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine. Well, where it's, uh, it's a trick, isn't it? Yeah. it it's like well, they're going to invest have a sp- in the stock market. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they should. They should buy bonds. And part of it's delusional. Part of it is that there are many people in both political parties and their donors who are very happy with the way that our society is organised at the moment, and they are not interested in genuine reform. Right. If we're mm. going to argue against them, we have to be well informed. Do you reckon politicians know what's going on? Like some do, some don't. What, we what, get ha- this question a lot. I know, I know. And, and it's <laughs> yeah. always interesting to get the, the feedback on it. Most of them don't. Most politicians that I've spoken to about fiscal policy have responded by saying it's above my pay grade. Yeah. They just mm. don't want to engage. 
Radio MMT on 3CR between 5.30 and 6.30pm the second and fourth Friday of each month. Radio MMT. If you like our show, subscribe to 3cr.org.au and mention Radio MMT. And you can find us through your favourite podcaster and give us lots of stars. And or give us a like on Facebook, Twitter or YouTube. Your support really helps. Because if you're not liked on social media, you don't exist. (laughs) There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new t-shirt, or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Twitter, at 3CR, and Instagram, at 3CR Melbourne. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855am. Keep in touch, 3cr.org.au. Look, um, we've got to wrap this up. Stephen, Gabby, it's been fantastic having you on. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. See you later. So I'm here at the Rethinking Capitalism workshop that is being hosted by Modern Money Lab and conducted by Dr. Stephen Hale and administered by Gabby Bond. Would you mind just telling me your name and one thing about yourself? I'm Barbara and I'm a mature age citizen old high school teacher. I'm James. I'm from Melbourne. I'm an actor, but I was until recently in the thermal efficiency space for homes. My name's Phoenix. Uh, I was born in a bathtub at 2.22am and I had the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck two times. Oh, and I was two days early. (laughs) I wasn't expecting the origin story. I'm Elaine. The person that knows how it feels to to do the right thing, but you sort of uh, don't get rewarded. Hi Anne, my name's Kevin. I like to try and dig underneath the front page story and find out a little bit more. Uh, My name is Ritha and I'm a finance professional and I have spent uh, more than 10 years working in the corporate sector. My name's Joseph and I work at the ATO and I um, play guitar in my spare time. Uh, I'm Kenny and I enjoy baking. (laughs) You enjoy baking. Yeah, it's a thing that I enjoy doing. (laughs) Outside of work, I do a lot of uh, teaching of software engineering. You start to know the difference between what someone can learn in a YouTube video about how to make an app or something like that and what it actually means to sit down and experience the struggle of uh, doing those things. I'm Lily and I studied originally biology, so I come from an academic background, but I was always an armchair economist, just reading a lot of pop economics books. The ones I happened to be reading were ones like Donut Economics. My name's Kent, and I am originally from the US. I 
um, a trade union organizer. So I will say uh, to join your union, um, whoever's <laughs> listening. Um, my name is Laura and I live in central Victoria, Castle, Maine. I'm originally from South Africa and I'm a scientist and ecological economist. And I've always been interested in intergenerational equity and the elimination of race, class and gender disparity. Because um, I'm really an activist now. And what brought you out on a rainy weekend to Melbourne to spend two days talking and learning about progressive economics? It's the reframing. It's the reframing. And during the time that I did all of my academic training, MMT didn't exist. And I started seeing it. And then I became very interested when Stephanie Kelton became Bernie Sanders' uh, economic advisor. And I'm particularly interested in the intersection and the coupling of MMT with ecological economics. I think that is a potential breakthrough field. Economics is a hazardous journey. One of the things that I've learned since, certainly since 2008 is that the word economics has the word con in it. Because I listened to Friday Afternoon on 3CR, my attention had been drawn to a book written by an American woman about monetary policy and I was flabbergasted by it and was able to attend today and it's been fantastic. That wouldn't be The Deficit Myth by Stephanie Kelton, would it? That's the one, yes, that's exactly the book. Given that I have a very strong um, preoccupation with climate and the natural world, and I saw this as a seemingly innovative or perhaps revolutionary form of economics, my natural curiosity, would, I mean, nothing would keep me away because traditional forms of protest and, and contact with relevant agencies on climate issues don't seem to produce any feedback or results. During the pandemic, when there were a lot of questions about money, that was suddenly, suddenly had a real change of heart at a federal government level about how much we could spend and it opened up some new interesting questions for me. I found that MMT was filling in some of those blanks, but I'm particularly interested in questions of sustainability as well. Sometimes some of the conclusions from MMT might lead someone to believe that, you know, we have open-ended, you know, resources. When you put the emphasis on how many resources there are, then you could say, well, let's expend the existing resources. So if you don't put that caveat in there, then that potentially can be, you know, just as bad. So what has motivated you to spend a rainy weekend uh, learning about and discussing progressive economics? Rethinking capitalism seemed like a really interesting topic to me because it's something that I kind of think about a lot anyway. Like I'm studying sustainable fashion innovation and textile design and a lot of the time we have conversations about like what's wrong with capitalism and what's wrong with uh, governments and why they're not doing the right thing for their citizens and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of the time those conversations just go around in circles and it's like, this is bad, that's bad, this is bad. And so I was just interested to come along and actually discuss it a bit more. 
Well, I'm interested in economics in general, and um, this is a good chance to talk to other people about economics and learn about economics as it sort of affects the real world as opposed to what you hear about in the, in the media. I'm really passionate about our economic activity and the impact it's having on our um, ecological environment as well as the growing inequality that we see within countries as well as across the world. Uh, I'm doing my own research into understanding um, how how economics works at an overall macroeconomic level and what are the key factors that we've been missing that have led us to be in the situation that we are in right now. And MMT came up as a really interesting um, area where people, again, are passionately trying to champion both um, an economics that's ecologically sensitive as well as a rebalance of power and reduction in inequality. We have been trapped by incorrect ways of thinking about governmental debts and deficits, um, which we should say the big government deficit means more for the rest of us, basically. You know, quite frankly, better life, and um, we could really see huge ways we can improve our lives. I thought this would be a great way to meet other people that might be interested and also to get a language, a clearer language with which to communicate those ideas to other people. A few phrases, uh, ways to communicate MMT, for example. Most of that I got from the lectures, but I'd say like maybe 20% come from just talking to people in the discussion groups. I'm an old lady. I want, I want people who come after me to enjoy life as I have been able to. It's all hands to deck at the moment. We are in a climate crisis. What would you say is the significance or the importance of understanding macroeconomics? Um, I think we're awash with macroeconomic terms and they inform our political discourse and the way we vote and the way we think about society constantly. But there is very little general understanding of just, I mean, just the basic jargon but also the implications of those things. And so journalists that I respect will often ask questions that have basic assumptions, which I profoundly disagree with, and you see, well, okay, there's just a base level of misunderstanding there. So it's really important that that starts to change. Um, and I guess that's what weekends like this are about. They wouldn't really need to exist if this kind of way of thinking was common knowledge. Mm -hmm. yeah. Economics is, is, in, is part of your life and it's probably a good idea to have some good grounding in some of the basics of it, which I don't think I, I, I did. Why do we even need to know economics? I think because the biggest, single biggest um, response that we get to campaigns around reducing inequality and climate change is the impact that it has on free markets and the impact it will have financially on a country and that is always used as the as the weapon um, to say no and I think it's a duty for all of us to understand at least the basics of economics that we are informed citizens and actually can campaign 
for change um, and to understand that actually, you know, we don't have to be quiet and we're given these kinds of excuses because there's absolutely a way out of this mess. The narrative that we can't, that we're constantly told that we can't do certain things like uh, get a good path towards improving our, our environment and I think probably my main thing would be disappointment with mainstream media to cover these issues accurately. I've seen a lot of people here willing to say we're not getting it right with the way that we're doing things at the moment. Uh, the way that we talk about things in mainstream economics doesn't match what people are experiencing and that's a problem. My hope is dependent on common people like us actually getting involved in politics and trying to drive change. Um, it won't happen with us going about our lives as per usual or as per normal. So I think as many people as we can get on board, try to um, help people understand what they're missing right now, what they're not being told uh, in all the information and the content we're consuming. And then uh, for those of us who are able to, to actually make the effort of driving change within our political systems. Is there anything out of this weekend that has stood out to you or surprised you in any way? One of the last sessions that we did about inequality kind of on the global scale and how developing countries have kind of ended up in this cycle not really able to progress anymore because they're stuck borrowing money from foreign governments or getting investments from foreign businesses and how more powerful countries have bent the rules to their own um, their own benefit. Mm. And it's kind of messed up. Do you think you'll walk away from this workshop worried that the Australian Federal Government is going to run out of Australian dollars? No, no, I'm not worried about that. But I'm, I'm sincerely worried about leaders making ill-informed decisions. As someone who's been organising in the allied healthcare industry mm -hmm. and who might have heard recently that the Australian Federal Government cannot run out of money, mm. how do you perceive now how Australia is funding its allied healthcare? It could fund it a lot better. And because of the fact that we are beholden to the deficit myth, as Stephanie Kelton calls it, you know, at a federal level, we could easily fund healthcare. We could easily fund, you know, our allied health professionals like physios, OTs, social workers, radiographers, and uh, radiation therapists, podiatry, art therapists, all sort of these diverse range of professions uh, throughout the country and actually create a model of care that was quite holistic. You know, not even mentioning the other things that go into health, you know, that being transit, food, home, housing, social inclusion, even those sorts of things. We constantly focus on our, our own personal expenses and household budgeting, and we've, we've bought the, uh, the con that the government's a little bit bigger, but it also has a household budget. And that is uh, complete, complete fabrication. What is the difference between the federal government's budget and your budget and my budget and all the other households? Well, I'm fairly familiar with my budget and my uh, 
expenditures can't usually can't be greater than my income. And I've sort of grown up to believe that a government does something similar, but that's not the case at all. MMT has shone a light on that. It's, it's always been the case, of course. It's just that it's never really been discussed much that a government can create its own currency. So the Australian federal government can never run out of Australian dollars? Correct. Lucky, <laughs> lucky them. <laughs> And I have to ask you now, as someone who works at the ATO, are you happy collecting our taxes so that we can pay for things like submarines and childcare? Um, <laughs> well, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons for tax. I mean, the idea that taxes pay for things is, is challenged by MMT and uh, a lot of other places. But, you know, tax serves a lot of other good purposes in the community, not just the, the idea of paying for things like this redistribution and value-adding purposes which taxation can do so. Value-adding, how does taxation...? (laughs) Well, it's more about utilising resources in an appropriate way. If we think about resources as money, then there's people who will accumulate resources and money and will never use it. So the idea of tax is to take those resources and utilise them in a more appropriate means within society. So we're value-adding to society. There was that lovely bonefish-style graph just showing the, uh, what is it? Again? I call it's it the fishbone graph The fishbone well. graph, right? Fish- That's a perfect, yes. Um, it's the sectoral balances. the sectoral balances, yes. Yeah. And I've heard that phrase listening to podcasts and so forth, but I've never seen it visualised mm-hmm. before. I was like, oh, yes, now it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say to someone who said economics is boring and it's got too much maths in it? Yeah, I'd say I think the same. Like, it is the way it's presented. It is boring and has too much maths. But I would say that's just one, that's just the way we've chosen in Australia to present economics. It's so much more than that. Economics is actually many theories, not just one. And there's not one mathematical theory to go with it. It's multiple theories and it's about how we want to live in our society. So it doesn't have to be boring. It is boring at the moment and we need to change that. You know, well, look, I, I, first of all, I'll say I get it. Like, I mean, I, I get that people say it's, it's too hard because I think it's been um, hijacked basically by people who have taken what it's really about, you know, the well-being of us and the planet. And it's become so technical and mathematical and so forth that it's really just taken that relevance away from us. And I think abused by those who it benefits in, in power um, to make it so abstract and accessible. Uh, well, economics isn't just what you hear in the media. Um, the media is like what you hear from politicians and, and um, economists is... It's, it's a version of economics that um, is in dispute or isn't necessarily a representation of the real world, so um, be a little bit more open-minded. This event is the first time I've kind of spoken to people about economics and been surrounded by a bunch of people who also get excited and are like economics nerds, I think. Um, normally people think that it's kind of a boring, stuffy subject, And I guess that's also what I used to think, but then I kind of got into different podcasts like Planet Money and Freakonomics and 
was just kind of interested in all the stories behind economics. So uh, if you were to come across someone who says that economics is boring or that it's too hard because there's too much maths in it, Mm. Uh, what would you say to that person? It's absolutely correct. <laughs> it's totally spot on. It is boring. <laughs> well, it's as dry as, 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 as rabbit shit, but it doesn't matter what the type of economics is or the field or the field of study. It's incredibly complex. It's very data dense. It requires a heap of analytical and number crunching capability. Um, but you don't have to be a mathematician to do it. Understanding maths is a very good sideline to getting your head around economics. So where does that leave the person on the street then who really doesn't want to spend time or um, energy understanding all that? Well, it leaves it for expertise to communicate in publicly digestible language instead of gobbledygook. And so if there was one um, publicly digestible thought you would like to leave somebody with, what would that be? The future is a choice. The future is a choice, yeah. You've been listening to Radio MMT with Anne and Kev. We'd love your feedback. Email us on radiommt at gmail.com or search Radio MMT on social media. Listen to this show anytime, wherever you get your podcasts or on 3cr.org.au forward slash Radio MMT. Support this show and the station by subscribing to 3cr.org.au and mention Radio MMT. We thank all our guests. And we thank economist Professor Bill Mitchell and his MMTed.org, educating the masses on modern monetary theory. And thank you to our listening listeners for listening. And I thank you, Kevin. And I thank you, Anne. So what's planned for next week? Kevin, there is still so much to talk about. You've got to expose all this rotten economics. Well, yeah, yeah, no, that's that's good and I get it. Do you reckon we could use a bit more music? Well, I made a list of all these terrible economic theories. Like, have you heard of the theory of comparative advantage or the quantity theory of money or the loanable funds theory? Have you heard of a band called Single Gun Theory? Like, they're a really good band. <laughs> I'm sure there's a whole range of, like, macroeconomic music that I could bring into the show. Yeah, yeah, but we really need to do marginal productivity theory, not to mention the natural rate of unemployment and the money multiplier. You've got a pretty good singing voice. I play bass. <laughs> Bill, Bill, he plays guitar. I reckon we could form a macroeconomics band. Like, we could deliver this whole message by music. Well, we could call the band the Permanent Income Hypothesis or the Ricardian Equivalence or Rational Expectations. I think we're onto something here. We're trying to make macroeconomics more interesting to the masses. We're going to, like, form this band and sing it to them. And we're going we're to bring the economists in. We're going to get musical. We're going to do the regression theory of money to music. That would work. That's good. <laughs> regression theory of money. What runs with regression? Regression, depression, instant. <laughs> there's, there's a world of opportunity here. This is the league. This is the league. No build for this. Like you'll be inspired. Uh-huh. Have you ever sung before in a band? No, you, don't, you do not want to hear me sing, Kevin. <laughs> We'll get there, we'll get there.
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.